All right, it is time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Good morning. Let's talk about the breaking news here. B.C. Finance Minister Selena Robinson announcing that three-day cooling-off per, uh, period for new home purchases. So how, how would this work now? This allows you to get out of the deal. Allows you to get out of the deal. It gives you time to get a home inspection, make sure you've lined up your financing. There is a penalty you pay, though. Um, I think it's 0.25% of the price. Right. Uh, so if it's a million dollar home and you back out, that's $2,500. You still have to pay to the, to the seller. So it's something, uh, various sectors, various proponents in the real estate sector have been advocating. Some wanted a longer cooling off period or a pre-offer period. Uh, but this is three days. And again, it follows yesterday's announcement about expanding the speculation tax that show that housing is still very much, uh, a work in progress under this government. And it's going to be interesting whether... So this is Selena Robinson for two days in a row now announcing yeah. this. David Eby had been the housing uh, minister responsible for housing. He's had to step away um, because he's running for the leader, and he will become leader. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how much more Eby, under an Eby administration, how much more housing measures are pushed. I think there's going to be quite a few. On this cooling off period, the way the government framed this was there is a consumer protection measure. So mm -hmm. they were concerned about people getting in over their heads or maybe they purchase a home without an inspection or an appraisal and then they get a, a rude surprise. Like I remember EB telling me the story about, you know, the family that bought a house and then found a colony of bats yeah. <laughs> living in the attic. So I'm not sure though this is you know, you get three days to wiggle out of it. Uh, you know, it's not going to do anything for home affordability. Well, uh, I mean, I think a lot of these things don't necessarily put a dent in the in the price of a lot of homes. I mean, right. inflation is still running quite high, uh, but interest rates already we're seeing a, a slight slowdown in yeah. the market in some places, not all places. I mean, I always point out to people: there's no one housing market in Canada. There's like a hundred thousand of them. Every every neighborhood is different. Every city is different. And but we are seeing just anecdotal. I check the listings all the time in Victoria. There's a bit of a slowdown in Victoria in terms of sales, and also prices have dropped a bit. But again, I think that's mostly because of a, a slight increase in interest rates. But it's going to take a lot more than this to put a dent in the affordability issue, no question. Okay, and as you mentioned yesterday, Selena Robinson announced that expansion of the speculation and mm -hmm. vacancy tax to cover more uh, cities and communities. So it will now apply to Lady Smith. Lake Cowichan, North Duncan, Duncan, Lions Bay, all, all on the island there, and also Squamish. And the way that would work is if you if you own a home there that's sitting empty, you would have to pay yeah. an annual tax on it. It's right? interesting. It covered so it covered Lions Bay and Squamish, which are yeah. neighbor almost neighbors on the on the coast there. But it did not extend as far as Whistler. Whistler, right? So why, uh, why not? You think there'd be a lot of empty not homes? entirely clear why that uh, hasn't happened. I think Whistler's been fiercely uh, fighting any proposals. Well, such sure, as that. because people have got vacation properties mm -hmm. there; they're not living in. They might, you know, rich people who might visit them occasionally to go skiing or whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure why it hits a place like North Cowichan or, or Ladysmith and yeah. not Whistler. It's not been adequately explained. But I think you're going to see a further expansion of the speculation tax as time goes on. Also significantly does not include the Gulf Islands. So, you mm -hmm. know, like Salt Spring or Saturna Island, you know, there's a lot of vacation properties over there. Now, the Liberals are saying, oh, wait a second, a lot of NDP MLAs own vacation properties <laughs> in these cities that have been excluded. Murray Rankin owns a recreational property on Saturna Island. George Heyman has a place on Maine Island. Mm -hmm. Janet Routledge has a recreational property on Maine Island and an investment property in Whistler. 
I, how many liberals, I wonder, own Oh, I'm sure liberals own there. a lot of property yeah, in those areas as well. Do. I mean, if they thought there was a conflict, they should file a complaint with the Conflict of Interest Commissioner. I, yeah. I mean, this came up before with the original introduction of the spec tax under Carol James, if you recall. That same argument was made. Wait a minute. You've got people have wrecked properties in these areas that are excluded. You know, it was yeah. one related to the other. So it's, uh, it's an issue that's come up again. Okay. Housing, as you touched on, will be a, a key area for David Eby, now mm-hmm. declared this week to be the NDP leader, and I think he will certainly be become the, the premier here. He appears to be... Do you expect him to be unopposed and, and end up being... I do. I mean, he's got, he's got the support of 48 MLAs. There's a number of MLAs who are not participating in the leadership race because of their positions in caucus, such as Raj Shahan as the speaker. Uh, so basically, he's almost got 100% backing of, of the... With the exception, I think, three or four MLAs, and they're not going to run for leader... And you got, you and I have talked about this before. I just can't see someone spending forty thousand dollars to elect David Eby um, because of because uh, they have no chance of actually winning. So the clock is ticking. Maybe someone gets in. I doubt it. Even if someone gets in, Eby's still going to be the leader when all is said and done. You've got forty-eight MLAs signing up members on his behalf. That's quite an army. Okay, Eby is kind of an interesting guy. Like if you get to know him a little bit, like we've we've covered him closely for years and he is kind of a nice guy. He's got a nice he's mm-hmm. got a sense of humor. You get to know him personally a little bit, but I'm not sure it translates as much into the public where he comes across as a very sort of technocratic kind of um, technical kind of guy. Kind of, you know, he, not, he's not exactly warm and fuzzy. No, but right? he's. Uh, but he, there is a likability uh, quotient to him. I is think there? That, Do you I, think people? I, like? I think so. But I, I, he's no John Horgan. Few politicians are. I mean, yeah. John Horgan emerged as, as having really good curb appeal, uh, yeah. which yeah. really, and all the politicians don't have that. And it's no fault of Eby or anyone else, but it's tough to compete with Horgan on on that type of level. But I mean, Eby will have his work cut out for him. He will have a chance to display some warmth and and some you know common man touches out there. Yeah. But well, uh, I think that'll be one of his challenges. That'll be one of the challenges. He does come across as sort of a, a basically policy wonk, geeky type of guy, lawyer. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's and already we're seeing signs on social media. The liberals are going to reach into his past before yeah. he got into politics and throw all that at him. And that was his controversial support of various civil liberties issues. Okay, let's have a listen to this. I think this is interesting. Former NDP Premier Glenn Clark speaking to Global News here. And here he is talking about John Horgan stepping down as Premier and the big shoes that Horgan is going to leave here for whoever succeeds him. It looks like it's going to be EB. Have a listen to Glenn Clark here. We'll get your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, I know so many people, especially in the business community, who say, look, I don't like the NDP, but I really like John Horgan. I mean, he's such a likable, relatable, authentic guy that I think, uh, you know, he has transcended and really broadened the base of the NDP. So the challenge for the NDP will be to find a new leader who can who can still speak to that uh, John Horgan base, which is much broader than it was, uh, you know, not that long ago. So uh, they got some challenges. Yeah, that was interesting analysis. Uh, very, very uh, smart, insightful analysis by Glenn Clark. One of the probably, if he hadn't got, if he, I think if he got elected a little later in life, I think he might still be premier. Really, he probably doesn't regret it considering how well he's done in the business world under Jimmy Patterson. Jimmy Patterson's right hand man. Yeah. He must be super rich. Oh, now. Yeah. So, uh, but he makes a very good point. I mean, I do. I've also, and so have you, met people who say ah, I'm not voting. And we've had callers to this program. And I normally I've never voted NDP, but I like John Horgan. I, I'm yeah. going to stick with him. And that's going to be Evie's challenge is retain the people who up to now haven't voted for the NDP for whatever reason, but they voted for them in 2020 because of John Horgan. I mean, that was a historic win by the NDP in 2020. They just really never done that well. 
with the electorate, and a lot of that was because of Horgan. Yeah. Now with him gone, can they repeat that success in the next election? Yeah, like as Glenn Clark was saying there, he said that John Horgan has expanded the base of the NDP because of his personal appeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought it was, you know, this is a guy who moves around with some of the most powerful business leaders in British Columbia. And he has said he hears from people in the business community. Yeah, like you said, I, I don't like the NDP, but I kind of like Horgan. Like, are people going to say now I don't like the NDP, but I like David Eby? Well, the trick for EB yeah. is well, one of the benefits EB has is his opponent is still fairly weak, which uh, Falcon, the Liberals. You think Falcon's weak? I, the BC Liberals have not recovered yeah. yet. They're not. They're not. They're struggling financially. They don't have the resources that the NDP does, and that's why I think they're in a weakened position. I, I wouldn't say. I mean, Falcon's definitely a step up than the previous leader, and he's brought some fire uh, to the caucus. But they still. It's it's an uphill battle for the Liberals. This is not going to be an easy election for them to win either, and that's a. That's a bit of a, a benefit for EB, but again, uh, the Liberals can take advantage of the fact this is not John Horgan, and yeah. this is, there's a lot more baggage they can put at EB's feet. Well, as Falcon straight up told me yesterday, they're happy that Horgan's gone. Mm-hmm. They'd rather run against EB for than sure. Horgan. You know, he straight sure. up admitted but it. But also, I think Falcon told you he doesn't want to see an election. He doesn't want an election yeah. anytime soon, which I think is an acknowledgement the Liberals are not ready yet. They need that election in 2024, which is why I think EB's going to call one next year. All right. Spaldry's beat, lots of calls. Mike in Surrey. Hi, Mike, go ahead. Hi there. Uh, you know, I was one of the ones that have said all this past couple of years that what Horgan's done has been a great job, and I think uh, he's been uh, definitely an effective leader. And I thought, well, you know, now that he's gone, Aibi was a little bit kind of too far left for me. But the more I gave it some thought, I realized that you know, really the whole caucus really does drive down the center lane. They've been very good as a group. So... You know, I think if Evie doesn't say anything too, I'm going to call it left-wingy or, or woke, uh, I think he's got a great opportunity to uh, to win the next election. If he kind of drifts to the left, I think mm-hmm. he might lose some of that support that he got from people that yeah. uh, were more center, center like I was. So Yeah, good call. good call, Mike. I call it Horgan's progressive centrism. You know, he's mm. it's a progressive government, but it's, it's center focused. It's not veering off to the left. And, and that's, uh, that does the NDP well. EB's challenge, though, I think, and I've written about this, you just see already some of the activist components of the NDP, particularly on the environmental side, and some members of caucus are starting to flex their elbows a bit, wanting more um, significantly uh, policies that are there well, more like, left wing, like Bowen Ma. You pointed out yeah. her call on Bowen, like LNG, right? Bowen's tweets about it, it basically go all in on climate change, right? And yeah. get rid of you know stop the LNG expansion. That happened under Horgan's watch. Yeah. Was embracing the LNG industry. So Horgan was very much a resource industry uh, type fellow. He's not the only one in government. I mean, there's the fact is he's let his ministers run the show here. Yeah. And as Mike just pointed out in this call, it's basically driving down the center lane. And yeah. EB's challenge, if he wants to go into the left lane, uh, he's going to lose a lot of that center. And that is an opening to the left. You know, like you think back to the Site C Dam decision, yep. for example. The right? moment of this government. Yeah. You know, they opposed it in opposition. A number of the ministers, a number of people who are in cabinet right now paddled the peace in protest of the Site C Dam. But they were the ones who also ended up voting in favor of it. Right, uh, and that was an early moment in the, the showing that this and Horgan. I remember the interview with Horgan for all the first few months in office after the site C dam, saying they had to shed to govern effectively. You have to shed your activist roots. You can't govern as an activist. Yeah. Activists are nice at poking holes in things and complaining and and, and holding you know governments account to account, but governing is something different. 
And Horgan realized that right away, and that's why they've been so successful. And we'll see if Evie can stick to the course. Okay, Rob on the line in Port Moody. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, to, to give a comparison, I mean, it, you know, Premier Horgan was the is the keg waiter, and David Evie is the former head of the legal department of Pivot Legal Society. Um, you know, one of the greatest challenges that, that the current government has had, and it wasn't even a challenge, it was that the former liberal government didn't even govern. They left so much low-hanging fruit for the NDP. Okay, they've done a good job of, of, of handling all that low-hanging fruit. You know, a message across the board, and I think this is what the electorate really needs to start to focus in on. And you guys talk about woke or going too far left or too far right. The fact is most governments have got so scattered that they forgot about the key issues. COVID aside, you look at the, the conditions of, of downtown Vancouver and many other communities with the homeless issue. None of these policies, including the, um, you know, the cooling off period that, that was announced today, and I, and I know it's been in the works, but, you know, some of the final details, is it, still not having the effect on homelessness and affordability and whatnot. And governments have just okay. got too, too out of focus. Okay, thanks. Well, I don't think any government has the magic solution for affordability. I don't care whether you're liberal, NDP, conservative, whatever. No one's got the magic the magic fix here because there isn't one. And people are trying different things uh, at different levels and seeing what works, and it's going to take some time. I'll pick up the paper today. Economists are now saying perhaps inflation's peaked. Mm-hmm. That, hopefully that's true, but we'll see. Uh, if it hasn't peaked, that just it makes those well, challenges even in more insurmountable. Along the line of what the caller just said, like look what's happening in the city of Vancouver, where Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart and that Vancouver City Council yesterday voted to spend over $600,000 on a lawsuit to sue big oil. Yeah. And, you know, that's going to turn a lot of people off. Yeah. We're going to say, why don't you go fill the potholes yeah. or, or solve the crime problems on the streets of Vancouver? Suing big oil? Are you kidding me? No, that, that, again, um, not the first time or the last time a city council has poured that kind of money into a somewhat useless endeavor. Jim in Port Moody. Hi, Jim. Hey, good morning, you guys. Uh, I, uh, I think that uh, David Eby is going to be very popular with the middle-income British Columbians who are trying to get out of renting and try to purchase a home. I, I have a lot of faith in him, and I think that the, he's really going to push for affordable housing. And uh, Kevin Falcon better be careful of what he's asking for because I think that David Eby is going to be around for a long time as a premier of British mm. Columbia. Well, it's going to be interesting. Much. Thanks. Uh, interesting how hard EB pushes on housing. Remember, yeah. one of the things that sort of was announced is he hinted at, he did more than hint at, he said basically, looking seriously, like going over municipalities' heads to ensure that they can't put zoning ch- uh, blockages like in force front of housing them, developments. Effectively force them to build more force housing. Their hand. Not sure yeah. he's going to follow through with that, but look for housing to be a little more proactive under EB's watch. Squeeze in one more. James in White Rock. James, 30 seconds. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just want to know whether or not Keith thinks that the reason why they expanded the speculation taxes because of the major losses that they're taking now in the property transfer taxes in the province. It's 30 seconds, Keith. I haven't seen any evidence of major losses in property transfer taxes. They took a bit of a hit, but it continues to go up. Revenues, yeah. uh, that's a they huge They don't get a lot of money off this speculation tax. Not, uh, speculation tax is peanuts compared yeah. to the property transfer tax. 